Well, for over a month now, we've been going through the Psalms of Ascent, and this morning we're continuing that. We're going to look at Psalm 126. So if you can open your Bibles and turn to Psalm 126. A Song of Ascents. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter, and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, The Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Well, sends our reading of God's restorative word. May all who hear it reap with shouts of joy. Amy Cavitia was just 12 years old when, to her surprise, she saw herself dancing on the popular television program, George's Got Talent. Except it wasn't her. It was another girl who looked exactly like her. A girl named Anno Sartania. Moments later, her, Amy's mother began getting calls from her friends and her relatives asking why her daughter was dancing on George's Got Talent as, and if she was using some sort of stage name. Having a hard time convincing those who were calling that her daughter was right there with her and that it was some other girl on the TV, Amy's mother was beside herself. And that was when Amy asked her mother, why does that girl look so much like me? Her mom simply wrote it off as just coincidence, telling her daughter that, that everyone has a doppelganger out there somewhere. You just found yours today. And while Amy listened to her mother, she was unconvinced. That day would stick in the back of her mind like a permanent scar. Fast forward seven years, and a girl named Anno the very dancer who was on that television program was doing what most teens do. She was texting with her friend. And that was when her friend sent her a TikTok video, a video of a girl named Amy who looked exactly like her. Well, almost exactly, for Amy had recently dyed her hair blue. But other than that, it was like looking in a mirror. But, but it wasn't just that this girl looked like her, but she even had the same voice as her and many of the same mannerisms. There was something more to this than just a simple case of a doppelganger. While well, Anna was bound and determined to find this Amy, she, she wanted to meet her mirror image and, and to see how much they really had in common. And so she shared this video on a university WhatsApp group to see if anyone could help her locate this TikToker. Someone who knew Amy saw the message and was able to connect them on Facebook. 
Oh, it's the power of social media today, right? Well, as soon as Anno and Amy connected with one another, well, Amy knew at once that this was a girl whom she saw dancing on TV all those years ago. And so they began to get to know one another from a distance. And they discovered that they did have a lot in common. They were both dancers. They both liked the same music. They, they even had the same hairstyle, except for Amy's was dyed blue. And get this. They were even born in the same hospital, though their birthdays were two weeks apart. And so they couldn't have been long-lost sisters, let alone twins. The, the whole thing was very, very strange, to say the least. And things were just not adding up. And so the two of them decided that they should meet in person. We are, we are now in our seventh week of these Psalms of Ascent. These 15 songs that the, the Jewish pilgrims would sing as they, they made their journey upward to Zion, to the, to the city of David. These songs that were meant to prepare the worshiper's heart before they would celebrate the annual feast before they would enter into the temple courts, to that sacred space where the Lord their God had made his dwelling among them. And now here we are, thousands of years later, looking at these same hymns and understanding that they still speak, that they are still capable of preparing a worshiper's heart. In fact, it was just last Sunday where we learned that, that one way we can prepare ourselves it is by understanding the confidence that we can have in, in Jesus Christ. That not only does he save us, but that once he does save us, he never lets us go. And so we can have eternal security in him. But now that we've been rescued, now that we have been saved from the wrath of God, what is it that Jesus wants to do with us? I mean, we are a broken people. A people who have been wrecked by our sins. Surely Jesus didn't just rescue us so that we would remain broken, did he? Of course not. Jesus wants to restore us. He, he wants to bring us back to how God originally intended us. That we would become a, a holy people. A, a people whom he could call his own. A glorified people who, who, who will live with him in his blessed kingdom. And this is exactly what we see in our psalm for today. Now in order for us to truly understand Psalm 126, we must first recognize the historical context in which it was written. You see, in the, in the year 587 B.C., after a 30-month siege... Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, sacked Jerusalem, bringing about its utter ruin. Ruin not just to the city, but to the nation as well. The walls were torn down, the temple was demolished, and the people, well, they, they were either killed, taken captive, or they had already fled to Egypt earlier. The nation of Judah was no more. And thus the Jews that were still alive had become a people without a home. 
They had no temple. They had no city. They had no wall of protection, and they had no land. They were now either refugees in Egypt or captives in Babylon. They seemingly had no hope. And yet the one thing that the Babylonians couldn't take from them was their God. Even though these people had turned their back upon their God, and that was the reason for Jerusalem's destruction, God had not turned his back upon them. Many of the same prophets who sounded the alarm of Judah's coming misfortune also prophesied of Judah's restoration. Consider the words of the prophet Jeremiah. Look at Jeremiah 29, verses 10 through 14. For thus says the Lord, When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Here we, we, we see the, the Jewish people would be given over to Babylon for 70 years. And yet when those 70 years were up, God would restore his people back into the land of promise. God would not let his anger kindle forever. He would remember his covenant to their father Abraham and set the captives free and bring the exiles home. This is the context for our psalm today, for this song that was likely penned soon after these exiles had returned into the land and had begun to possess and to rebuild Jerusalem. The 70 years had passed, and the words of Jeremiah had finally come to fruition. And this is seen plainly in our very first verse of our psalm. As our psalmist uses the language of Jeremiah of restored fortunes. But before we get into that, let me, let me give you a brief outline as it will guide us into the point our psalmist is making. Our outline goes like this. And in, in verses 1 through 3, we see the beginning phases of the Lord restoring his people into the land of Judah. We see the people's joy. We see the people's gladness as they are now once again in the home that God had given to them, in a home of their own. And then in verse 4, we see our psalmist's prayer to the Lord, a, a prayer for continued restoration. Even though they were now back in the land, there was still much work to be done if the restoration was going to be complete. And so they were going to need God's help. And then finally, in verses 5 and 6, we see the assurance that our psalmist has that the Lord will complete the restoration until they are once again a fruitful nation. And this all points to our author's theme, 
that Yahweh is a God of restoration. That he will restore his people to a life of abundance. Let's see how this is so. Look look at our first verse. Look at verse 1. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Now immediately in our first verse, we see that the people have been restored to the land. The psalmist says that the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion. Now what the ESV translates as fortunes is the Hebrew word Shabbath. And this word carries with it a dual meaning. It can mean fortune, as we read in the ESV, but it can also mean captivity. This is why many translations use the word captives or captivity instead here. For example, if you look at the New King James and how they render this verse, it says this. When the Lord brought back the captivity of Zion. Now, whether you translate this as restore the fortunes or, or bring back the captivity, the, the context is clear, is it not? This psalm is about the specific time when Yahweh was restoring his people back into the land. After having spending, spent 70 years in exile, the people had now returned. They were now taking back possession of what they had lost. But how does our psalmist describe the people's reaction to this restoration? What what does he say? We're like those who dream. In other words, they they, they were in a sort of euphoric state. What they were experiencing was, was so good that they weren't even sure if it was real. It was a a surreal moment. When Anno and Amy met for the first time, that was a surreal moment. It it was like a shock to the system. Not not only did they have the same face, but they were the, the exact same height. They had the exact same build. They, they were identical in practically every conceivable way. Even the scent that they, that they gave off when they hugged one another had this eerie familiarity. And there was this strong connection that they could not explain. This close bond with one another that they immediately felt. From that moment forward, both Anno and Amy knew that they were twins. I have to imagine that this first meeting that they had was like a dream. That that something that had been taken from them, even though they didn't even know it at the time, had now been restored. I'm sure there were both tears of sadness and joy all at once. Sadness from the fact that they had missed 19 years of their sisters' lives. Joy in the fact that this feeling of not being whole was now suddenly being filled. Both Anno and Amy had just gained a sister. 
In many ways, we, we all go through life having this nagging feeling in the back of our minds that something ain't right, that, that something is missing, that we, we know that our world is broken and, and that we are broken as well, and yet we're not sure how it all can be fixed or even if it can be fixed. It is because of our sin that we have become a marred people. A people who have lost so much. We have lost our dignity. We have lost our home. We have lost our sense of completion. And we have lost our connection with our Creator. It is because of our rebellious pride that we have become estranged from God. And the only solution to the problems that we face, face is God himself. Only he can restore us. Having now returned to the promised land, these exiles, these ones who were once held captive in the land of Babylon, they now had a land of their own, a home that was restored to them by their God. They, they were now seeing, seeing the fulfillment of God's promises, promises that, that seemed unimaginable only a few years back, promises that they couldn't picture ever, ever happening. I mean, consider some of these promises. Look at, look at Isaiah 14, verse 1. For the Lord will have compassion on Jacob, and will again choose Israel and, and will set them in their own land. And sojourners will join them and will attach themselves to the house of Jacob. Or look at the book, book of Amos, chapter, chapter 9, verse 14. I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel, and they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine, and they shall make gardens and eat their fruit. And so these, these people, these exiles that have returned home, they, they knew about God's promise of restoration. And yet, before it came about, these promises seemed too good to be true. I'm sure many of them said to themselves, I'll believe it when I see it. And yet, now here they were, seeing it, but barely believing it. It was like a dream to them. This restoration truly was a, a too-good-to-be-true moment. And yet they would enjoy this moment for all it's worth. Look, look at our next two verses in our psalm. Look at verses 2 and 3. Then our mouth was filled with laughter, and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. If at first they were in shock as someone who, who dreams, now they were simply celebrating. The surprise had worn off and the only thing left was pure gladness. How long had it been since they last laughed? How many years since they heard shouts of joy? 
As great as their sour, sorrows had been, greater still was now their happiness. They were glad. And they weren't the only ones who understood that, the, that something dramatic had taken place, were they? For, for our psalmist lets us know that, that other nations also knew about all that God had done for them. So great was the restoration of this people that, that even those outside of Judah took notice. And so this return wasn't simply done for the benefit of the Jews alone. But God would use this example of his kindness to let the other nations know about his tremendous grace and mercy. Yes, those outside the faith got to witness God's mighty restoration of his people. The Lord had done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. Let me ask you, do you truly understand all that Jesus has done for you? All that Jesus is doing for you? Do you comprehend the, the lengths that he went to and, and the lengths that he is still going to in order to restore you? This, this restoration project that is you is, is not something that the Lord had to do. No, but it's something that he chose to do. He, he could have simply left you as you are. Broken. Impoverished. And yet he chose not to. And this restoration is, is not an easy thing to do either, for it requires great sacrifice. Consider all Christ did for you. First, he, he humbled himself by becoming a man. He, he, he stepped off his throne in heaven and took the lowly position of a servant in order to live the sinless life that you were incapable of living. But not only that, but then he, he died an agonizing death, a death meant for a criminal, as he hung from the cross when he took upon the penalty for your sins. He then defeated death when he rose from the grave three days later, in order that you may gain the victory and the reward of eternal life. And now he is reigning from heaven above where he has sent to you his Holy Spirit in order that you might be renewed, in order that you might be restored. And so I ask you again, do you truly understand all that Jesus has done for you, all that Jesus is doing for you now? Think of the sinful woman who was found weeping at Jesus' feet. Look at, look at Luke chapter 7. One of, the, one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And when he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table, and behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with her, with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, 
If this man were a prophet, he, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Now in this woman, we, we see tears of repentance. We see a, a knowledge of who Jesus is. She did not deny her sin. Rather, she understood just how sinful she truly was. And that, that was why she clung to Christ. For she knew that, that only he had the ability to restore her. Only he could fix her. Well, the gladness that she must have felt, the joy that must have filled her heart when she heard those amazing words, your sins are forgiven. But that's who Jesus is, is he not? He is the one who restores he, he, he takes the broken down, sinful man and makes him clean again. He, he, he takes the woman who has been held captive by her sins and releases her. He takes those who have been living in exile and gives them a new home in his kingdom. And yet, restoration is not always a simple process. And this is why in verse 4 of our psalm, we, we see this prayer to the Lord for their continued restoration. For even though they were now back in the land, there was still much work to be done. Look, look at verse 4. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Yes, even though the, the people were back in the land of promise, that didn't mean that their life was now easy. It was anything but. There was much work to be done. They needed to build new homes. They needed to build new walls. They needed to restore the temple. They needed to cultivate a land that had been barren for 70 years. Plus, they needed to worry about all of their pagan neighbors, those who, who did not view their return with such gladness. No, their, their next few years in, in the land of Canaan was going to be harsh. 
out of the ashes and out of the rubble, these people needed to make a life for themselves. And that was why they were going to need God's help. That was why our psalmist was praying this prayer. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Now the Negev was typically a dry and arid region. It was really a valley with not much in it. There, there really are no streams in the Negev. And yet on the, the rare occasion when it would rain, even if only slightly, the runoff from the surrounding mountains would be so great that it would create these rapid flowing streams, streams that would nourish the valley almost instantly. And so when our author speaks of, of the streams of the Negev, what, what he is praying for is for God to act quickly, to bless their land with an abundance. And this prayer makes sense, does it not? For the restoration of Jerusalem is going to take years. And if they even had a single season of drought, well, it could become catastrophic. Tough questions needed to be asked after Anno and Amy had met with one another, after they had discovered that they truly were twins. And so both of them had decided to confront their own families in order to learn the difficult truth. But the reason they chose to do this was because both of them felt like their lives weren't whole, that they had been living a lie for 19 years. Amy's mother, when, when she was asked, told her that she was unable to conceive, unable to have children, and thus she had become very, very distraught. But a friend of hers who wanted to help informed her that there were unwanted babies at a local hospital, and all that she would have to do would be to pay the doctors a hefty sum, and they would allow her to take one of those babies home with her and raise her as her own. Anno's mother told a similar story, they, that they had paid a large sum of money to adopt her. Well, after learning more from their parents, both Anno and Amy started digging deeper. They wanted to know more about this hospital in which they were born. And what the twins discovered was that their official birth certificates were forged. Many of the details were simply false. Not only were the dates of their birth incorrect, but the names given for their biological parents were fictitious. They were people who did not exist. Now, neither of these families had any idea that their adopted girls were twins. And neither did they realize that they had been involved in a widespread illegal adoption ring. In fact, it had only recently been exposed that throughout the nation of Georgia, child trafficking had become an epidemic. Mothers, when giving birth to their babies, were given a drug that would put them to sleep during labor. When they would awake, they were told that there were complications and that the children didn't survive. And yet what was really happening was, was that those babies were being sold. Sold to adoptive parents from all over the world. There was a massive cover-up involving doctors and nurses and even government officials. It is believed that over a period of 30-some years, 
Tens of thousands of babies were simply stolen and sold for a profit. Well, news of this only created further heartache for both Amy and Anno. For, for now they knew that they had a biological mother who was out there, a mother who, who, whom they did not know the name of, a mother who believed that her two daughters were dead. And the chances of ever finding her were slim to none. Bottom line, if, if these two girls wanted full restoration, it was not going to be easy. It was going to be very difficult. And it seemed that before they could, there could be true healing, they were going to experience even more pain. Oftentimes, the way God brings his restoration is through hardship and suffering, is it not? It is through his refining fire that he, he removes the, the last vestiges of our sinful flesh. It is through pain and toil that he strips away our pride from within. It is through heartache and loss that he produces within us a steadfastness as well as a strong faith in him. Listen, just because you have faith in Jesus doesn't mean that, that you are a finished product. No. I'm not sure I understand. <laughs> My phone doesn't get it. Yeah. That's all right. There's more that needs to be done, is there not? God's Holy Spirit is currently molding you he is currently shaping you into the image of Christ. And so the process of your salvation continues on. Look at, look at Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, to both will and to work for his good pleasure. You see, what Paul is saying here is that your salvation is this ongoing process. A process where God is continuing to restore you from within. Or consider the words of James. Look at, look at James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And so it is through trials and through testing of your faith that God is perfecting you. That he is completing you. In order that you may lack nothing. Our psalmist understands this. He, he knows that even though God had returned them to the land, the, the process of their restoration was not yet complete. They would still need God's blessing. They would still need God's grace. And yet our psalmist is confident that he who began a good work in them would carry it out to completion. Look at our last two verses in our psalm. Look at verses 5 and 6. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. 
He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Sometimes it's hard for us to understand verses like these. And today we live in such an abundance that, that, that if we need seeds, seeds for planting, we, we can obtain them very, very easily. And we have seed supply companies that will deliver everything you need right up to your barn door, right? And if you plant your seed and, and a drought hits, well, well, then you can just irrigate and make sure that your crop produces. In fact, in America, we, we have become so advanced in our farming that, that we grow an overabundance of food. And much of what we have grown gets wasted. That's why we have government subsidies for farmers, because we, we figure that it's better to have too much than to be lacking, right? And yet back during the time of our psalmist, sowing seeds was a risky business. And if there was a drought or even a poor season, it could mean disaster for a whole nation. It could lead to starvation. It could lead to death. And so one didn't just sow seeds without counting the costs first. And yet our psalmist has great assurance that the Lord his God would pour out his blessings upon his people. And why? Because of the prophetic promises that come from God's word. Look again at the prophet Jeremiah. And notice how God promised not only to return them to the land, but to restore their fortunes as well. Look at, look at Jeremiah 33, 7 through 11. I will restore the fortunes of Judah and the fortunes of Israel and rebuild them as they were at first. I will cleanse them from all the guilt of their sin against me. And I will forgive them all the guilt of their sin and rebellion against me. And this city shall be to me a name of joy, a praise and a glory before all the nations of the earth who shall hear of all the good that I do for them. They shall fear and tremble because of all the good and all the prosperity I provide for it. Thus says the Lord, in this place of which you say it is a waste without a man or beast, in the cities of Judah, in the streets of Jerusalem that are desolate without a man or inhabitant or beast, there shall be heard again the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the voices of those who sing as they bring thank offerings to the house of the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord of hosts, for the Lord is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. For I will restore the fortunes of the land as at first, says the Lord. Amen. Amen. God had promised to his people that they would be fully restored. That there would be joy again. That there would be laughter. That brides and grooms would celebrate that people would have such an abundance that they would give thank offerings to their God. God had promised to restore their land. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. 
God would make good on his promises, and our psalmist knew this. And that's why he includes it in his song. He, he wants to bring encouragement to his people. I mean, remember, full restoration was not going to be easy. It would require both hard work and trust. Hard work and the, and the tilling of the ground and the sowing of the seed and, and trust knowing that once that seed was sown, once it had been planted, that the Lord their God would bring the rain. And so our psalmist, he did not want the people to become idle, nor did he want them to be afraid. He wanted them to trust in the Lord their God. Because if they didn't, well, then there would be no harvest. After Anno and Amy learned more about their troubling past, they joined this Facebook group that was trying to reconnect these lost children of Georgia to their biological parents. And it was through this group that they, they actually found their birth mother, a woman named Aza. After DNA testing confirmed their relation, Amy desired to, to meet this woman, desired to meet her her, her biological mom. And yet, Anno, she had reservations about this. And that's because Anno, she was still not convinced that this whole baby-stealing scandal was a real thing. And in the back of her mind, she was pretty sure that, the, that her mother had sold her and her sister for money. And yet, for the sake of her sister, she, when she was asked to come along, she decided to be her sister's support and to meet this woman. When the day finally arrived, there, were, there was much hugging and many tears. Aza told her daughters that during the delivery, she had become unconscious. And that after she awoke, the doctors told her that both her babies had died. Was this woman telling the truth? Did she really think that her daughters had died? Or did she sell her daughters for money? These were the questions that were going through the mind of Anno. Amy, on the other hand, seemed to have compassion for her mother. She simply wanted to reconnect and bring healing to her life. You see, true restoration takes time. It takes patience. It means taking risks. It means learning to trust again. It means looking in the mirror and acknowledging your own failings. It means opening up old wounds and learning to forgive. But what does our psalmist tell us? Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Dear friends, God didn't just save you so that you could remain the same. His desire all along has been to restore you. To restore you into what you were meant to be. And while that road may be difficult, while that process will require sacrifice, you can be certain of this. God will accomplish what he sets out to do. 
Philippians 1 verse 6 says this, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. You see, there will come a day when Christ will return. And when he does, he will bring with him a new heavens and a new earth. Those were the verses I read at the beginning of our service. That which is broken, that which has been marred by our sins, will suddenly be transformed, will suddenly become healed. And if you, if you have placed your trust in Jesus Christ, well, you will find that your brokenness will be healed as well. For the good work that God has done in you will have been brought to completion. And your fortunes will have been restored. And that's because our Jesus is a God of restoration. He not only saves you, but he makes you whole. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning with humbled hearts, knowing that your mercy towards us is far, far greater than we deserve. It truly is like a dream. And so we praise you this day. We praise you for the deliverance that you have brought our way, for our salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. And we ask now that you would restore our fortunes, that you would make us whole again, through the power of your Holy Spirit. May we be filled with gladness. May our mouths be filled with laughter. Though we sow in tears, may we reap with shouts of joy. Only you can accomplish this. We pray these things in Jesus' mighty name.